Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. Wake up. Good evening. How can we be motivated when we're half asleep? We're glad we can be here tonight to kick off, to continue kicking off, polishing the pulpit 2016. Thank you for being here on Friday. Thank you for staying up and being here for this session. Seven ways to stay motivated and accomplish anything. His name is Joseph Grimaldi, or was. He'll probably go down as the greatest clown of all history, known as the father of clowns. He was so successful in helping people laugh that on one occasion, a physician was working with one of his clients. The client was in a very, very deep state of depression. And so the doctor said, I'm going to have a very special prescription for you tonight. I want you to go tonight to the town hall, and my prescription for you and your state of mind is, I want you to enjoy one of the greatest clowns of all times. Watch Joseph Grimaldi. The patient replied, sir, that just will not do in my case. For you see, I am Joseph Grimaldi. Isn't it true that all too often those of us that should be encouraging others and helping others reinvest in life need to be encouraged ourselves and need someone teaching us to reinvest in life. Now, I have to be honest with you this evening. When I received various assignments for this year's PTP, I saw Friday night, 8 o'clock, seven ways to stay motivated And I honestly said to myself, no, that one is not for me. I'm not sure I can do that, and I will explain why. Over the last 13 weeks, the congregation and community where I'm blessed to live has gone through seven, seven funerals the last of which was that of a 19-year-old man, that young man that has just graduated from high school, the victim of a tragic drowning. And though he was not a member of the congregation where I preach, his life so intertwined with the lives of our families and of our own young people 
that we felt a tragic loss ourselves in the church, in our own home, in the community. Of the other six funerals that we've attended and or preached, two have been deacons of the congregation. One, the husband of our sweet and dear secretary. One, a man that I brought to Jesus some four years ago after working with him over a nine-year period. And he died because of a fall. One of the seven, an extremely, extremely dear friend who stood by my side and let his shoulders capture my tears in some of the darkest hours of my life. In addition to seven funerals, we have been blessed for almost half a decade by two wonderful youth ministers right out of Freed Hardeman University. They came to work for us. They were single. They've married since they were with us. I performed both of their wedding ceremonies. And one of them, after four years of working with us, decided he wanted to return closer to home. And the second one, after being with us for between three and four years, has decided he too, with his new wife, wants to return back to Oklahoma and live closer to home. And so now, in addition to those seven losses, we have lost two wonderful ministers. In addition to that, we are right slap dab middle in a building project. Building a building, not an auditorium to worship God in, not a Bible school building to attend Bible school services, but a youth building to accommodate, of all things, our Wednesday night program because we bust in a lot of boys and girls and teach them about Jesus every Wednesday night and have almost 300. We have 350 on Sunday morning and almost 300 on Wednesday night, and we don't have room. And so we're right in the middle of all of the angst that go with that. And so I pick up an assignment and says, how to stay motivated. Motivated, and I say to myself, I sure wish I knew. <laughs> but then I kept reading. And the assignment continues by saying, How to seven ways to stay motivated and accomplish anything. Oh, when I saw those last two words, immediately my mind went to a particular passage of Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So I said to myself, surely, surely there's something in this passage and its context that can help me. And in helping me, maybe, help someone else. You see, I'm reminded of what Joseph was asked in Jeremiah or Genesis chapter 40, verse 7. Why are you so sad today? 
I'm reminded of what Hannah was asked. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? I can echo the words of Elijah when he's being chased. He's in the crosshairs of Jezebel. And finally, he just comes to himself and he says, it is enough, and says to God, take my life. Paraphrase, I've had enough. Get me out of this. Can you relate? I can. I understand what it means to hear the words, the question that, Jer that Nehemiah heard. Why is your face so sad? Nehemiah 2 verse 2. To some degree, I believe I can relate to John the baptizer who sent word to Jesus, are you the one or do we look for someone else? Why aren't you involved in this? Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. I wouldn't dare consider being on the level of despair of my Savior in Gethsemane, but I can tell you sometimes, I'm sure you can too, relate to those words, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful and nigh unto death. Matthew 26, verse 38. I know what Paul meant when he said, out of anguish or much affliction and anguish of heart. With many tears, I wrote, anguish, affliction, tears. The Apostle Paul could write a letter to me and I bet he could write one to you and say, I am mindful of your tears. 2 Timothy 1 verse 4. He even had to tell Timothy, stir up the gift, paraphrase, get back in the game, son. So if you're like me, you turn to the Old Testament, you turn to the New Testament, and you can truly see that individuals have been going through feelings like this forever, and they say, they, they, they encourage you to say, praise God! I'm normal. I'm normal when I feel this way. But that doesn't help me. Stay motivated and try to accomplish anything. So I'm going to ask you tonight to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And let's read together verses 8 through 14. And in this reading, we will hopefully find seven things that can help us stay motivated and encourage us not to quit. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The New King James Version goes on to say, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased 
and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer or to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. From this reading, seven thoughts that can encourage us to stay motivated and try to accomplish anything rather than in a state of despair, choose to quit. Thought number one, don't quit. Rethink the way you think. Look again at verse 8. It begins, finally. Now that's Paul's way frequently of making a distinction between what he has been writing via inspiration to something that he is about to write via inspiration that is going to make practical application of the thought previous. And so as we begin verse 8, the Apostle Paul begins to make practical application to the overall teachings of the book of Philippians, a book we might call the Epistle of Ecstasy because of its employing the words joy or rejoice 16 times. So finally, he begins with this note of practicality. Finally, brethren, he is talking to you and to me. Finally, brethren, now watch how emphatic Paul is here. Whatever, 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 if there is any, if there is anything, the Apostle Paul reaches out in thought and encapsulates every facet of life and brings it inside the boundaries of a specific way of thought. Whatever you're talking about, think this way. He goes on to say in verse 8, meditate on these things. The word that is translated meditate is logizomai, logic reason, reason within, reason from. Let your logical thoughts stand upon these things. The word that is translated meditate translates a verb that is in the present tense, literally keep on logicking, keep on logically thinking, meditating on within the perimeters of these things. And so Paul begins our passage tonight by saying, no, don't quit. Rethink the way you think. Help me. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You will be what you think. You will do what you are. So you will do what you are, and what you are is what you think, so you will do the way you think. I like the story of the little girl that was asked to come to the blackboard 
and was handed a piece of chalk. And the teacher said, now, Sarah, I want you to draw a circle on the chalkboard. And so she took her chalk and she drew a circle on the chalkboard. And the teacher began to brag on her, honey, that is a wonderful circle. Why, in fact, I believe that's the most perfect circle I've ever seen someone draw. How did you draw such a perfect circle like that? And Sarah said, oh, twarn't nothing. I just thought real hard about a th circle and then I drew a line around the think. Paul is teaching us to draw a line around the think to create a trench that serves as a perimeter. And all of our thought process must flow from what's inside that perimeter. I will leave it up to you to go home and do a very careful analysis of the words true, noble, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, and praiseworthy. And so when I start to think in ways that are less than positive and productive, when I want to ponder the idea of doing something else with my life, marching in a different direction, I want to quit. I need to ask, do these thoughts successfully sift through the perimeter that Paul sets in Philippians 4, verse 8. I love what Paul said in Acts 26, verse 2, when he said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Now, I know that in context, Paul was saying, I'm happy I can be here and talk to you. But I just love the way he worded that, and it so applies to what we're saying here. I must think myself happy to stay motivated. Thought number two from our next verse, don't quit, don't quit, try to be like Paul. Now let's see, isn't he the man that said, I have fought the good fight? I have kept the faith? I have finished the course? This is a man that refused to quit. Try to be like Paul. Watch what he says in verse 9 of our text. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now, those words deserve a little more careful analysis. There are four verbs here that translates a term that means something that was done in the past. Look at them in reverse order. You saw some things back yonder in me. And you heard some things back yonder from me. And you received those things that you saw and heard from me. And as a result, you learn, you come to an understanding from the things that you received, the things that you heard and the things that you saw. And all four of those verbs translates a term that means, now back yonder, you saw, you heard, you received to yourself, 
and you learn. From that premise, he goes on to say, using another verb in another tense, the present tense meaning keep on doing, from that experience, he says, now those things you keep on doing. You be like me. I'm reminded of the challenge, Philippians 2, verse 5, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus. I'm reminded of the challenge in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, which says he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Live like Jesus. I find that incredibly difficult to be like Jesus. Oh, but I'm reminded of a man that said, be a mimicker, be an imitator of me, even as I am of Christ. That was Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And now I can begin to channel that down to where it relates to me. I think I can work on being like Paul. And if I work on being like Paul, that will help me even be more like Jesus. And that's what Paul is telling the Philippians in this passage. You imitate, be like me. The poet says, cast a pebble in the water, a splash, and it's gone. But a half a hundred ripples circle on and on and on. Paul is telling us that his life is like a pebble cast into a pond and the influence of his life are like those ripples that just roll on and on and on through the ages even into your mind and to the door of your heart. Try to be like Paul. Has anybody ever said something bad about you? Do you remember the Asiatic Jews who called Paul a plague? Has anybody ever mistreated you? Do you remember people from Iconium that followed Paul, stoned him and thought he was dead and walked away? You ever wanted to just give up? Follow the steps of Paul. Any circumstance that you find yourself in, turn to the epistles of Paul. Turn to the latter half of Acts and see if you cannot find something in the experience of Paul that some way relates to what you're having to go through and learn from what he did. Try to be like Paul. Thought number three. Don't quit. Remember how much you are loved. Look at verse 10 again. But I rejoiced. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Look at that modifier, greatly. It translates megalos. That is the only time you'll ever find that adverb in all of the New Testament. And that makes it extremely unique, if not special. I know that a cognate, megas, is found repeatedly, large, mega, megaphone, megachurch, and such like. But this particular adverb, megalos, found only right here. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I rejoice in an extremely special, awesome way. We would say, my heart is about to explode out of my chest with joy. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? That it now, that now at last your care for me flourished again. His word care here is phroneo and it means thinking, feeling. I'm beside myself in joy because you're thinking about me. You're feeling for me again. Actually, your care for me has flourished, that is, sprouted up. Your thoughts and your feelings for me, it's like they might have been dormant, but now, no, they have broken through the crust of your heart, and you're thinking of and you're feeling for me again. But hold on. He goes on to say, though you surely did care. Surely did care translates an imperfect verb, which might be illustrated as, well, here's the aorist tense. It's a snapshot. The imperfect tense is a, it's a video tape. It captures something in the past, but in video form so that it's ongoing motion. And that's what Paul is saying here. You, you've always cared for me. I'm beside myself with joy because your feelings for and your thoughts for me have sprouted up. But why? Because you've never quit thinking about me and you've never quit feeling for me. This passage is absolutely pregnant with affection and love. Paul says, I am elated because you love me. Don't quit. Don't quit. Remember how much you are loved. There are people whose hearts are attached to yours. For you to quit is to leave them in the lurch. Don't quit. There are people who are thinking of you and wanting to try and, and, and to navigate through life like you. Don't quit. You'll encourage them to do so. Think of how much you are loved and in adjunct how much you do love so many others that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Put on therefore as God's elect, holy and beloved, bowels of compassion, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And then verse 14 of Colossians 3 says, and above all things put on love, which is the bond, the ligaments of perfection, completeness. 
Paul says in that passage, here is this virtue, this virtue, this virtue, this trait, this disposition. Put them all on and then you tie them all together and attach them to your heart with the silver thread of love. That's the cord that binds us together in Jesus. And so we're told by Peter or by the Holy Spirit through Peter that we are to love one another from the hearts fervently. Don't quit. You are loved by so many. When my life in this wonderful world is over and I go to my God above, when others reflect on a life well spent, what will be spoken of? Oh, let me think. I pray that my life will not be measured by the number of days and years. I pray that my life will not be valued by achievements and cheers. I pray that my life won't be studied from its failures and tears. No. Let me think. When I leave this wonderful world below, and go to my God above. My life will have been well spent. If I'm remembered as one who was loved, don't quit. Remember how much you loved. Thought number four, don't quit. Stay focused. Stay focused. It's so easy for the he sheds and the sea sheds to just overwhelm and divert our attention, if not our interests. And we can always begin to look on the other side of the fence where the grass is always greener, right? Those of you that have marched to the other side of the fence, what did you find? pasture with grub worms consider if you would verse 11 for this concept of stay focused rather than thinking about going somewhere else doing something better not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now Paul's pretty emphatic about that. He said, not that I speak. Now his word for speak here is lego, not laleo. Like lego carries the idea of um, more or less a very carefully designed discourse in preaching. We would say homiletics. In accounting, we would think of a spreadsheet. 
In medicine, we would think about therapeutical protocol. But in speaking, this let go carries the idea of a very well-designed point by point by point thought being shared in contrast to uh, a more casual, emphatic harangue. And so Paul says, I'm not engaging in this point one, two, three, four. But he does something else here. You see, the Greeks did not have laptop computers. They couldn't hit command I and type in italics. They couldn't hit command B and type in bold font. And so when they wanted to emphasize a point, they had grammatical tools that they would use. And one of the ways they did that was the verb itself has embedded in it the pronoun. But if they wanted to emphasize a point, they would use the verb with that pronoun and they would add the pronoun to boot. And that's what Paul does here. He says, not that I speak, but he actually says, not that I that I speak. He uses the word I twice in that he uses the pronoun and then implies the pronoun in the verb. And so he is extremely emphatic here. He says to the Philippians, now wait a minute. I'm not engaging in a point one, point two, point three. I'm not doing that because of something that I need or want. I have learned whatever state I am to be content. He learned to stay focused. He'll flesh that out in the next verse, but he learned to stay focused. Ladies and gentlemen, you can eat your peas with a sterling silver or a solid gold fork, but that will not make the peas taste any better. You can drink out of a crystal goblet, but water will still taste like water. You can find yourself in a state of despair and dismay and want to quit and go somewhere else and do something else, but what you are going to find when you go somewhere else and try to do something else is that where you go, you will go to what you just left. Stay focused. Don't live by the expectations of others, but rather by the Lord's. Don't live based upon what someone has said, what someone is saying, or what someone might say. Live by a thus says the Lord. Who else matters? Amen? Stay focused. I see this word content. And it reminds me of the focus that I find in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Be content with such things as you have. For the Lord Himself has said, I will in no wise fail you, neither will I in any wise forsake you. Therefore, with good courage, we can say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? Do you see what the Holy Spirit does in that passage? You be content with what you have. Why? Because Jesus is right there with you. Now, I wonder how it was that Paul could stay focused on fighting the fight, finishing the course, and keeping the faith. 
How could he stay focused? How could he get to this point of being content? Did he not say two verses later, through Christ? He knew that Jesus was with him all the time. So stay focused on Jesus and the task of serving him, our Lord. Thought number five, don't quit. Keep learning from life. Paul said in verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now watch what Paul says there, I know. He translates, he uses the word oida. There are two basic words for know that the Greeks like to use. One of them was ginosko. And it's more, if you compare the two, of a, kind of, an, ongo, kind of a, an ongoing knowledge where you know some things and then you just keep adding to those things. And it's just constantly growing and building. And it's the, the word that is used, for example, for a knowledge that comes from relationships that are constantly evolving and growing and uh, building upon. But the word oida or ido is more of a completed knowledge. Let's, let's, let's take a test. Okay? Front row. Front row. You ready? Two times two. That's good. Two plus two. Four. Great. Two squared. No, not circled. <laughs> now you knew the answer to those questions because you learned those if you were like me when you were in the third grade. You knew your multiplication tables in the third grade. I, I hated those flashcards. My daddy threw those flashcards up in front of me every time I'd come home. I wanted to watch Bomba the Wonder Boy on TV. And it was time to look at the flashcards. But I learned them in the third grade, and I knew the answer before you did. Two times two is four. That's this completed knowledge. That's ido or oida. Now, it's oida here because it's in the perfect tense, meaning it's something that happened back there with the results continuing. Watch what Paul is saying. I have come to a complete knowledge and the consequence of that is ever-present in my life. I know how to be abased. He said it again. I know how to abound. And watch how emphatic. Everywhere I go. And in all things, whatever I do, I have learned. His word for learned here when you trace it back to its meaning, is the word for mystery or secret. I have come to capture the secret of life and the consequence of that goes with me every day. Paul is saying, I have come to a state of mind that says, I am going to learn from life. When you're in a difficult circumstance... Ask yourself, 
What can I learn from this? Never, ever graduate from the University of Hard Knocks. Learn until the day you die from the difficulties as well as the victories of life. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says of Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Jesus learned from life. We need to do the same. Thought number six, don't quit. Think of God's involvement. Think of how much God has invested in your life. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The statement is personal, I. The statement is positive, I can. The statement envelops practice, I can do. The statement involves a specific periphery, I can do all things. And the statement sets before us a very specific power source through Christ who strengthens me. But look at it more carefully. I can do translates the Greek verb that means I have the ability. I have the ability to accomplish. I have the ability to accomplish what? Anything. All things. Through Christ. Now, the grammatical structure here carries the idea of impersonal agency. It's not Jesus directly involving himself in every circumstance of Paul's life, but something impersonal from Jesus. He says, I can do all things through Christ who in dunamao, dunamao, dunamis, dynamite, in, dynamite in, through Jesus who puts the dynamite in me. The idea is Jesus has empowered me with these abilities and I can do because Jesus has empowered me with these abilities. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul believed that God had given him a skill set. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 15, he said, it pleased God, read it, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God had a plan for that man's life. God gave that man his skill sets. Now that man had to make the right decisions along the way for those skill sets to be properly employed, but the skill sets came from God. Don't quit. God has invested in your life and in you as a person. Think of all the wonderful preachers that have touched your life. Think of all the wonderful opportunities that have been yours to be schooled by great minds and great hearts in the brotherhood. Think about the wonderful sisters in Jesus Christ that have seasoned your life so beautifully well. Think of the abilities that you have that others might not have to the same extent. What are my skill sets, Brother Dan? Simply, ask yourself two questions. Number one, what do you really, 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 really like to do? Number two, what do you really, really, really do well? Put them together and that's who God made you. 
Spend the majority of your life there. Don't quit. Think of how much God has invested in you. And then last of all, don't quit. See yourself as part of a whole. Verse 14, nevertheless, these abilities are mine, but still you have done well to fellowship together, literally to share in my distress. The word for distress here carries the idea of pressure. And it might best be illustrated by a balloon that has been filled up with air. And so an individual takes the hand and wraps it around the balloon, the hands and wraps it around the balloon and begins to squeeze tightly. And the tighter you squeeze the balloon, the more the air is compressed up into the other portion of the orb. And it looks almost like an aneurysm that's about to burst because of the pressure. Now, Paul said, that was my heart, but you shared, you fellowship together in reaching up and loosening the grip so that the pressure wasn't as great in my heart. See yourself as part of the whole body. And when life is difficult for you, reach out and let others help. Find others where life is difficult for them. Reach out and help. In closing, there was a years ago midterm attorney who fell victim to depression so deeply that his family and his friends thought it necessary to remove all the knives and razors from the house. It was this attorney that ultimately wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. I'm very grateful that President Abraham Lincoln was able to rise above his state of depression and reach the point where he said to himself, I shall not quit. Seven ways to stay motivated. I don't know that I can. I truly don't know that I can at times. But what Paul writes in this passage helps me one day at a time.